did that Not proud, but that was me And when I face it I take back a little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free From the power Weakness had on me Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy, and as you may have noticed, I had just recorded an episode yesterday, so what am I doing back on your feed today? Well, I'm doing something new. We um, often hear back from people that have been guests on the show, and they say, wow, I really wish that I'd said this, or I wish I'd thought to say that, and um, I thought, well, why don't you just do a little recording of it into your phone, send it to us, and we'll upload it as a bonus episode. So sure enough, yesterday I interviewed Courtney, and afterwards Courtney thought of some things she wished she'd said about recovering that she thought would really help people that are um, in a difficult situation, especially in early sobriety, and, uh, and she sent them on for us to listen to. So here you go. Here's an update. Things Courtney wishes she said yesterday. Hi, Jean. It's Courtney. Um, I really feel like I didn't get to the guts of that whole experience. And I want to go back and try to describe what it was like to go into such an uncomfortable place for a, a person like me. So as I'm riding down in the gondola, like I said before, I'm looking up at the sky and thinking, holy shit, here we go because I intuitively knew I was about to embark on a pretty scary journey. And I was already thinking that I'm going to need drugs. And for me, I'm a sober woman, and that's how I identify, and that's how I've lived my life for the past almost five years. So that's entering into my mind. So I get to the hospital, obviously they have to give me morphine, I'm, my pain level is at a 12, and they do, they set my wrist and they get me ready to spend the night in the hospital before I have to be shipped out to Vernon for surgery. So I, I get to Vernon the next day and I remember as I'm going into surgery, I'm looking at the surgeon and I'm explaining to him, I'm saying... You know, I'm a I'm a sober woman. I don't I don't drink. I don't take Tylenol. I don't take ibuprofen. And he's looking at me like, "Well, sorry, but <laughs> you're going to need some. You're going to be taking pain medication, and I'm going under general anesthetic." So they calmed me down as best they could, and there I went. I went into surgery, and I, and after surgery, as I was in the recovery room, I guess. The nurse, Brady later told me this, but the nurse came up to him and said, your wife, does she suffer from anxiety? And he says, well, yeah, I mean, she has anxiety, but for the most part, she she really has it under control. She says, well, she's had a severe panic attack and we've had to give her some Ativan to calm her down. And he's like, oh, okay. And I guess, you know, I was going on and on about the safety of the children and what they were eating and where they were and just stressing, 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 obviously through my, through my subconscious. 
So I awake in the hospital bed and Brady's there and I'm pretty out of it at this point. And we sort of talk and they get my pain under control and he then has to drive back to Revelstoke to be with our children. So I ended up staying the night in the hospital on my own. And anyone who's ever been in the hospital knows that it's a pretty, it's a busy place, right? And there's a lot that goes on in the middle of the night in a hospital. And for me, I wasn't in a private room. I was in a room with four other patients. So in the middle of the night, there's this couple that comes in and um, I would say they're around like 58 years old. She's she's quite beautiful, and but you can tell that she's very unwell and she's not feeling well and he's helping her in and he's got his pillow under his arm and they sort of get settled and I can like, he, I can hear them talking and I can hear her talking to the nurse explaining that she's been suffering from pancreatitis for, I don't know, the last, I think it was about nine years she had said but she's obviously suffering from a bout at this time. So I'm pretty out of it at this point, but I can, in and out, I'm hearing these conversations go on and and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, Courtney, like, you know, put this in perspective. You're okay. Like, you're not suffering from a chronic disease. Like, you've just broken your arms. It's all good. Um, and then I can hear, and then I wake up and it's the morning time and and the doctor comes to see this woman and I can hear the doctor telling her that it, the pancreatitis is now gone. It's now gone to cancer and basically it's too late. So as I'm in this moment with these people, they don't know I'm in this moment with them, but I'm just like, oh my God, thinking life is so precious, so precious, so precious. And I can hear her on the phone telling her children and Anyway, so that sort of knocked me off my, you know, stressing about my arms. I thought, okay, this is not that bad. I can do this. And again, you know, when I talked about meeting myself with complete compassion and where I was at at that point, I had to know that even though I was being given narcotics and I'm a sober person, that was okay and I was going to be okay this did not affect my sober journey because I was really, that was stressful. That was like, what does this mean? Because everybody who is listening and who knows who's in recovery, I mean, the opioid crisis epidemic is huge. And I thought like, could I become addicted? Could I, is this going to happen? But I couldn't, I, I really couldn't go there. I needed help and it is it 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 was what it was so at this point i haven't showered or gone to the bathroom for 2 days basically and i'm just thinking like i just need some lip gloss i just need an eyebrow pencil or something i need something to sort of make to feel like myself so i remember saying to the nurse would you be able to do my eyebrows and she's kind of looking at me like who is, what is she talking about? And I'm like, please, like, I just, I just need some comfort. And at that moment, that was, that little Chanel eyebrow pencil was like <laughs> one of my self-care tools. I had to dig up. So she helped me do that. I looked ha- semi-normal. My hair was still kind of done from two days prior. I looked 
pretty decent. I still had my makeup on from like two days ago, but it wasn't bad because I was laying very still and not doing anything. So I managed to go to the bathroom. I actually managed to flush the toilet with my foot. And when I got back to the to to my bed, the nurse informed me that they were going to send me on the ambulance back to Revelstoke so that I could be in my own community, closer to my kids and my husband and could recover in the hospital there. So I was happy about that. So I rode the ambulance back to Revelstoke, got in. And I mean, the outpour of love was unbelievable. It was a bit overwhelming, right? Like you get back and you have all your visitors and your kids are there and your husband's there. And the reality of the situation kind of hit me like a brick. I was like, holy, you know, oh my gosh, my kids, my life. I can't do anything. And that was triggering. I actually felt totally, totally overwhelmed and lost. But then I tried again. I was like, okay, I can't change this. I can't go back. I can't go forward because that's giving me total anxiety. So I was just like in the moment, trying, trying to just be in the moment. And so the visiting hours stopped and Brady would go home and he would obviously do our usual routine with our kids and and I would be in the hospital. And I, and I mean, I my phone was a lifeline. Like I always kind of come down on social media sometimes and, and these devices, but oh my gosh, if I didn't have my phone, I would be like in no man's land with no connections, right? So at least I was able to sort of reach out to my friends and read all the loving messages and communicate and... So I was grateful for that. I definitely crutched on my phone a lot during the recovery, but it was a necessary, it was necessary and it was, it was, it was a gift for sure. This modern world is able to connect us when we need support. So I think, I mean, I, so at this point I'm like, I haven't showered, you know, we're going on day four now and I'm like, you know, the hospital staff's kind of done with me, right? Like, you know what it's like when you're in the medical system. There's a lot going on. There is a lot of people in need and a lot of people sick. And and so I remember having to like find a nurse and be like, can somebody, can somebody please give me a bath? And, you know, it's, that was eye-opening. I remember sitting in the bath and I, I kept thinking of, you know, older people thinking, you know, when they're in nursing homes and thinking like, oh my gosh, their bath, like the bath is so important. You know, some of them are only getting a bath once a week. And, but it was just like, I was just so grateful to have this bath, like, you know, and she, and the nurse tells me, well, I'm sorry, we don't have any conditioner. We only have shampoo. And I'm like, okay, uh, how's this going to go? So anyway, <laughs> so she cleans me up and washes my hair and dries me off. And I head back with my like frizzy hair and I go to the, into the bathroom and I try to like try to put some sort of like makeup on my face because I'm really fair and I have fair features so <laughs> I like to pencil my eyebrows in. I know it sounds vain but it was like it was all I had at that time. Lip gloss and a bit of, bit of eyebrow pencil so I do that and I get back into bed and you know I get the call that Brady's kind of come pick me up and we're gonna head home and and I'm like, okay, so brings me the clo- my clothes and I, he gets me dressed like fully tries, you know, and, 
you know, I'm not, I can't wear a bra because that it was just way too much to try to get a bra on. So I'm wearing a t-shirt, you know, high-waisted sweatpants, and he puts these like spiked spikes on my shoes, and so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like I, here I am, I'm a senior citizen now, like slow moving with my spikes, and I'm heading out to the truck, and I remember just even the walk to the truck, I just was totally traumatized because it brought me just right back there. I thought, my God, if I could slip and I could fall and yeah. Anyway, so the drive home was pretty emotional, but I got home and the kids weren't home and I didn't know what I was going to walk into because of course I wasn't, haven't been there to control everything for the last five days, but you know, the house was spotless. Um, everything seemed just as I left it and I, you know, crawled, crawled into bed and the kids got home and they came to see me and and yeah and it was like okay here I was in my environment not moving not doing what I usually would do to keep the day going so fast forward like before I would I'm a type of person I would be getting I would get up at 4 45 I would have a coffee I would go downstairs to our home gym and I would do my workout and kind of finish up at around 6 30 and you know get myself ready and start making lunches and getting the kids organized to get get on with the day, right? So now I can't do that. I can't be physically active, which was my, like I've said before, is my was my main recovery tool. I knew that I couldn't turn to food because I have a dark past with controlling food and having, you know, over four years in recovery, I just knew like, I couldn't turn to food at this point because that was just going to completely unravel me and make me feel completely out of control. So I continued to get up around, I think, not right away, but I sort of got back into getting up around five and kind of heading well, at first Brady was actually, he was getting me coffee and bringing it into the bedroom with a straw and I would kind of like sit in bed and and do like things on my phone and read and do things that I could and the kids would come visit me and then he would sort of take them off to school but then I'd have this quiet time. But so I had to replace that workout time with something. So what I would do is I would, Brady would come back after dropping the kids off from, at school and he would he would, I would get into the bath and I would have these like luxurious baths. So I would like dry, he would dry brush me and like, I would be like, all right, I need moisturizer. And he's just thinking like, is this what women do? Like, this is really intense. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) you don't understand. Like I need this right now. Like the bath became my like sanctuary, like my number one tool every day. I did the same thing every day. I lit a candle we did this like whole ritual of bathing, scrubbing, moisturizing, and then he would help me get dressed. And by this point, I'm, I'm going for this weekly blowout. I just thought like I, I had my daughter try to do my hair one day where she, she shampooed my hair and then we tried to blow dry it. And it was so stressful. And I think it was stressful for her because I was like irritated and she wasn't like scrubbing my hair hard enough. And then the blow drying was, this is too much. So I decided, yeah, I'm going to spend the 25 bucks a week and I'm going to get my hair done every week. So that became a thing. I had this like ongoing appointment where I'd go into the salon, get my hair done and get my hair blowed. And it was great. Like, honestly, I felt 
I felt amazing. Like I looked good. I felt bad, but I still looked like myself. So that kept me on the edge of like going into that really dark, dark thinking. And so that continued until about week nine. And then I sort of gained the strength to to be able to do my hair again. But those were some like kind of drastic self-care tools. They weren't drastic. They were so simple, but God, they, they came, they were so, so, so important to me. And anyone who knows this, like even when you're first getting sober, it's like you are doing like radical self-care, right? Like the time where you're going to go cocktailing with your friends, it's like, okay, like you need to turn on a meditation or a movie or Netflix or have a bath. So all that stuff was like, became super, super, super important. And again, I want to go back to the fact that I had to be on pain medication and I was on something called hydromorph. And, you know, I was like, you know, maybe don't Google that or don't, don't think about it. Cause I was like, I can't think about this too, too deeply because I knew if I thought about it too much, it was going to, it was going to give me anxiety. And then that was going to kind of send me down the path of uh, negative thinking and could get me in trouble. But anyway, so hydromorph is, it's seven times stronger than heroin. So, but I needed it. I was at a, you know, a level 10 pain till probably about three, till I think about like two and a half weeks was when I, when I was, when I went off. It was funny though, like when I first got discharged from the hospital, like they gave me my prescription that I was going to take two in the morning and I was going to take two at night. And right away I was like, well, I'm only going to take one in the morning. I'm only going to take one at night. Like I was already like, I, you know, trying to manage this to make sure that I, you know, I was stronger than that, which was okay. So I actually did do a lower dose right away and that was okay. And then so, but again, I had to meet myself where I was at. I needed the help just because I had to take pain medication did not mean that I was not sober anymore. So that was where I really practiced that radical, radical kindness on myself. And I got off and I was fine. I, I then moved to like two Tylenol and two ibuprofen and I did that for a couple of weeks. And then I, I kind of got away from that totally. So that was hard. That was interesting. And that was definitely a big source of anxiety for me. Um, another thing that I kind of did to keep myself kind of stress-free within my food, because I, have, I suffered from a pretty severe eating disorder when I was young and still continue to suffer from body dysmorphia that I try to manage for sure. Um, I did mention in my podcast before. And I think we mentioned it earlier, like I was born with my hand undeveloped. Um, and I remember when I was having one of my super, super low days, I felt like, God, like I'm already handicapped. Like now my, my arms have these titanium plates and screws and are they going to look the same? And, you know, I really liked the way my wrists look. I really loved my wrists, you know, I had a nice like wrist bone and I thought like, are they going to be swollen? And, and I remember having a really like low, low day about that. But again, I knew I had to like remain in the present moment because it was like, 
just from what I've dealt with in my past, I just knew where that thinking could take me and it could take me down a dark road. So I sort of did a thing where I was intermittent fasting, which is like such a buzzword right now, but honestly, it kind of helped. I would, you know, have my coffee in the morning with my MCT oil and then I would, I'd have a healthy lunch and then I would have a healthy dinner. And that just, that kept me in the zone and it kept me not having anxiety about the fact that I couldn't exercise or the fact that I like, I really wasn't in control of my body and I don't like that feeling that, that is it. That's very, very triggering for me. So I did that and I sort of ate like keto type diet, which made me feel good. It leveled my moods. I wasn't having any like crashes from like gouging on sugar or eating the wrong things because I've done that in the past and I have a you know, that is definitely something that can happen when you go through these like life-changing moments where you are completely out of control, right? But because I've had tools in recovery, I just knew that that was not the way I could go. I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't, I obviously wasn't going to turn to alcohol. That didn't ever really come into my mind, but I was, I definitely knew that I couldn't go to food because that was my, that's always been my first addiction was controlling food, controlling and being uncontrolled in food. So yes, I I guess I did go where I was like controlling kind of what I ate, but I was doing it in a way to keep myself in a safe zone, if anyone understands that. So yeah, and that's kind of what I did. I just like every day brought a new challenge. I mean, like I said before, it wasn't all, I definitely had these moments of because I was pausing all day long, I was just looking out the window and I was like always looking at the birds and I was looking at the trees and I remember being just kind of so fascinated by it and thinking, God, like, I don't know, it just sort of put me in this really peaceful, peaceful place where I could find peace in, the, in just like the everyday simple things. Um, but... But yeah, it by being able to practice radical, radical kindness in a situation where I was completely under out of control was a confirmation of recovery. And if I didn't have those tools, it would have been dark. It would have been dark. I would have had permission to, to abuse my body with, with alcohol or with food or complaining or negative thinking or being a victim. But I just, I was able to dive like deep, deep, deep into, into recovery. And also, obviously, like I said before, I mean, everybody was helping me do all my responsibilities. So I did have this time. So I kind of... I wanted to actually, I was kind of excited to do do something with that time instead of doing like what I usually do to control my day, which was like exercise and cleaning and working and the kids and everything else. I had all this freed up time. So I, I do feel like I, I kind of took it as an opportunity to do some deeper work. But anyway, I felt, uh, I wanted to add all that because... It is not easy when you are a person that has suffered from OCD, eating disorders, um, 
alcohol issues, which is all about control. And then you are put in a situation where you are completely out of control. And I must say, everything is in the wrist. Everything we do is in our wrist. So yeah, it was hard. It was hard, but I came through it and I, um, I learned so much through, through that stillness that like I was saying to Jean before, I, I just want to apply what I learned through all that to my, to my regular life because that wasn't reality, like sitting down and having everybody dote on me and do everything for me. And I still have to do my life. And right now I'm feeling like, oh my God, I'm not even good at this anymore. Because, you know, you get in these, like, you're, you're doing, 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 and you get to be like a master at your life and you're, you're doing everything and you're loving it. But even though you're probably doing too much, but you know, you're doing it. And now I'm like, oh my God, like, this is hard. Like having to reintegrate back into these, all these things that we put in our lives that we have to manage. So this is my greatest challenge right now. And like I said before, it's like, how do I apply what I learned through that extremely difficult situation, but also very beautiful, beautiful. It was beautiful in so many ways because so many things that I kind of saw through through the eyes of stillness, but now I need to apply it when I'm like in my busy life. But yeah, I wanted to to kind of let the listeners know a little bit of that struggle in that time. Cause as I'm like, I'm at 12 weeks now, it's hard for me to go back there. Cause I'm, I just find I'm always moving forward now. It's just the way that I have to live in order to be okay. But yeah. So yes, put that on my, I put that on our interview and, um, hopefully it helps somebody. If anyone is finding themselves laid up and injured and needing to practice radical self-care. <laughs> Anyways, love to you all. Thank you.